these words again from Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 4. God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Of the most often quoted verses in all of Scripture, two of these that I just read, verses 8 and 9, are surely near the top of that list. Verse 8 again, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And we are going to center our thoughts on that today, but may we begin by first considering some of these other verses that we read also, verses 4 through 7 and then verse 10, because these words that surround these two key verses give the reasons why God has divinely decided to give us this wonderful gift. And I do want us to talk about them today and then again for a while next week perhaps. Let me read though verses 4 through 7 again and verse 10. God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And in verse 10, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The why. Why did God do these things for us? For all of the millennia that philosophical minds have been pondering the plans and the purposes of God, many answers have been put forward for the reasons as to why God created mankind and why he shows such great favor towards us. One of the most prominent explanations is that God created mankind as a kind of grand experiment brought about as a response to the rebellious path that that Lucifer and, and the other fallen angels chose to take. An experiment to see if after a season of separation from God and after much vain searching for that elusive, perfect existence that Satan tries to sell to us, that man would eventually then turn back from our sinful ways and once again seek to find favor with God. I don't personally subscribe to that reasoning, not all of it at least, but some parts of it do have a kind of merit following after the ways of the world, the flesh, and the devil is truly a dead-end street for us. When we seek to, to find favor in 
the ways of this world. It's a kind of living death. We're never satisfied. And the misery of all of it does cause us to seek other answers. And for those of us who choose to find those answers in God, we can clearly see Satan's immediate deceptive countermove of influencing us in the wrong directions of, of self-effort and good works as our means of earning back God's favor. And clearly by these words, we can know that such is not the way of God. And the pathway of good works can never bring us salvation. But thanks be to God, real answers and real truth are only as far away as these words before us today. Here in in the simplest of terms, we're told how we can find our way back to God. And it's not by working real hard to earn his favor. And neither is it because God looked ahead in history and saw that we were going to choose him, that he then responded to that and saved us. The real reason behind all that God does can be found in the simple but yet unexplainably complex mysteries of God's amazing grace. And it is His grace that we should be seeking after and that our hearts should hunger and thirst for. And it is in His grace that we will find the favor that we're looking for. Read with me again verses 4 and 5. God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Now when we studied these words last week, we mentioned that within God's great love, mercy must come before grace. The reason being that our sin must first be dealt with and removed from our souls before grace can be applied to our lives. And mercy, bought by the shed blood of Christ, is God's way of removing that sin from us. And though mercy must first be applied to our sinful souls, the reality, though, is that grace is actually always present. And it is the source and the wellspring of all that God does in the salvation of our souls. Grace. It is His grace that resurrects the dead souls within us and restores us back to that divine condition that God envisioned when he first created us back there in the Garden of Eden, that place where we were once fully alive and in loving fellowship with him. I pondered those days often. What it would be like to have known no sin. I was 29 years old when I first received Christ. And so I have a lot of memories of sin that I don't want to have in my mind. But there was a time with Adam and Eve when they were fully alive and in loving fellowship with God and they had no knowledge of sin. In my imagination, I ponder the thoughts of the Lord Jesus as he in those first days knelt down and picked up that dust from the earth and with great love 
begin to, to form the flesh of the man Adam. Genesis 2, 7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. And yes, the Lord God spoken about there is the Lord Jesus. We know that because we're told that both in John chapter 1 and in Colossians chapter 1. It was Jesus' own hands that formed the body of Adam. And then as Jesus finished forming Adam out of the dust of the ground, he lovingly then held Adam's face up next to his own and with divine hope he, he breathed into Adam the breath of life. That verse again, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living soul. Those words are in Genesis 2-7. And when Jesus then breathed life into the body and the soul of Adam, it was not just human life. It was also a divine life. Life that was filled with the presence of God's Holy Spirit. Pure and holy. And there in the garden, both Adam and Eve lived a blessed and holy life. And for how long... We really don't know. But they walked daily in those pleasant conditions. As the song we sang earlier, those pleasant pastures. They enjoyed the comfort and the peace of the presence of God. But then unfortunately, it was there also that God's grace became even more complex and even more unexplainable. It was there that God permitted Satan, the evil one, that serpent of hell, to have entrance into Adam and Eve's life. And again, grace takes on many faces, and this is one that I still do not comprehend. But because we know that God is always good, and he always does good, we know also that this was some form of grace, allowing Satan his entrance into their lives. And it was there through the temptations of Satan that Adam and Eve made their wrong and fatal choices. And both of them died. And yes, they did know better. They had been told clearly that they would die. And though they had the wisdom of the Holy Spirit residing within them to fully understand those words, they still chose to turn against God and to sin. And as they did, they died. They died. And their death is so well described for us here in these words of Ephesians chapter 2. Let me read those again. And this is the death that God spoke about to Adam and Eve. Verse 1. Who are dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. That's that old serpent, Satan. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. I said to you, I fully surrendered my life to Christ when I was 29. But for the most part of those first 29 years, this was me. This was me. 
I lived according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, among whom once we all conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh. What he's speaking about here in this death is that slow, agonizing death that we talked about in last week's message, that kind of death that's written about in the book of Isaiah, and that it's that kind of death that we will suffer for an eternity in hell, but we begin it here in a life without Christ. Those words, where the worm does not die and the fire is never quenched. With this kind of death, our bodies are alive. Enough to walk around according to the courts of this world. Enough to participate according to the prince of the power of the air and, and to walk with him. It's that, he's that spirit of disobedience that worked and, and works in the hearts of the sons of disobedience, conducting our lives in the lusts of our flesh, as these words tell us, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, children of wrath. It's a slow, agonizing death that takes place over a whole lifetime for those who never receive Christ. The warning that Adam and Eve received, they did not realize it at the time, that as they made that choice, their choice would bring their death. But because of their choices, that same death, then followed on down to their children. And then all of the other children that would come after them forevermore. They were making a choice at the time, not just for themselves. And that's the problem with parents today. We think that we're only making choices for ourselves, but we're not. Adam and Eve's choice was for their children. Children yet unborn. And then all of the other children that would come afterwards, including you and me, and our children, it's that same living death where the worm does not die and the fire is never quenched. And we can clearly see that same choice being made today as men and women, mothers and fathers, for whatever reason, and those reasons are many, are right at this moment, right at this moment, choosing other activities other than church, other than God. And they're choosing, making that choice for their children. And in doing so, they are setting their children on that course of this world spoken about here. That same broad path spoken about in another place that leads to destruction. Choices. But again, with all that being said, it was never God's plan or His purpose that such things would take place. He simply gave man and women the ability to make choices. And man did make a choice. And his choice brought immediate death to him and then consequently to, to all of his descendants. But thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. He has not left us to squirm forever in that never-ending death. In his great love for us, he has lovingly provided us with his great mercy and grace. And that's the message that I bring to you today. And let me say that the unction of God's Spirit compels me to stop and ask you personally to reevaluate your own life and ask you, what about you personally? 
Are you perhaps still living in that old condition of a living death? Each day squirming through the miseries of the course of this world. Desperately searching for that elusive answer that will bring relief and peace to your troubled soul. And has your search perhaps led you down that pathway spoken about here, the one of just somehow trying to earn God's favor by doing good enough things, good enough works to maybe get into heaven. Folks, that kind of futile effort is the essence of what God was warning us about here in verse 9, where he said, not of works, not of works. If it were so, then you'd be able to boast of your own abilities. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Recall also that it was this very kind of thinking that was at the core of that first sin that took place with Adam and Eve. With them, it was this subtlety of self the subtlety of self, similar to, to a disobedient child whose first learned word is mine, mine, and who demands, me do it, I do it, let me do it. Let me ask you, did Adam and Eve not also say those exact words to their father? No, Daddy, me do it. Spending time with our grandchildren, we hear that often. Me do it. And that's what Adam and Eve said to their daddy. And so then forevermore since we followed their lead and we incessantly insist, me do it. I do it. And then on top of that, with great pride, we cry back out to him, Lord God, our daddy, look at me. Look at what I'm doing. Approve of what I'm doing. Accept my good works. Again, that's why God warned us here in verse 9. Not of works. I don't want you to try to work your way into my favor, he's saying. I want something else. I want surrender. Now, thanks be to God. He has generously brought all of these things out into the light and has told us plainly within these words that though our sins be as scarlet, he will guide us to a perfect relief. And he will. And what he does is first he gives us the presence of his Holy Spirit because without his Holy Spirit we would not ever begin to understand even the first word. So he first gives us the presence of his Holy Spirit so that we can begin to to comprehend words such as we're reading here today. Then he tells us that yes, left in our old condition that we are dead. We are dead, utterly dead, utterly incapable of making any right kinds of choices. And in the simplest of terms like these, and by the power of God's Holy Spirit, then we begin to comprehend a little at a time. But listen, folks, please, know that it must take place this way. It must take place this way through grace. Because just as a dead person can do nothing to work their way back to life, Neither can we, who are dead in our trespasses and sin, do anything at all to bring ourselves back to life. It's as simple as that. It is ever and always by grace, through the gracious hand of God. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. 
and not of works, lest anyone should boast. This is an absolute, unchangeable truth. Salvation and eternal life begins with grace. But not only does it begin with grace. Grace is that power and that provision that is always at work throughout each and every step that follows along afterwards, even on into eternity. And may I say that yes, as the words of the song that we'll sing in a few moments tell us, grace truly is amazing, and for many reasons, but one in particular. It's because if we were to stop and consider grace within this context of God's holiness and of His justice, grace simply should not take place. It should not. Grace really seems to be completely inconsistent with holiness. But thanks be to God, it isn't. Thanks be to God, grace is simply one of those other unexplainable parts of holiness. But the question that often confuses our evangelical doctrine is, if not of good works, does man, do you and I have any part at all that we must play in our receiving of His grace? And the answer to that question is yes. Yes. Just as man took this crucial part within our trespasses and sin, so also in this change back from death unto life, man must also take a part. And I know that some would take strong argument to my words and say that, but for grace to be grace, all parts of it must be of God and God alone. Because that's how grace works. And I agree completely with that. But here God is intentionally and purposefully interjecting the requirement for faith within us. That's our part. And yes, I do know that even faith itself is a gift from God. But listen, these words are plain to understand. Man has a part. We must believe. And not just believe, but believe with such conviction that we place our whole existence within the balance. Salvation of our souls comes by grace through faith. Now how that eventually works its way out within the doctrines that we profess, arguments will continue until the end of days. How much did predestination and how much did free will have to do with it? But listen, these words are plain to understand. Undeniably, both grace and faith are required elements before salvation and eternal life can take place. And so for today, though we may not fully comprehend the unexplainable grace of God, may we simply and humbly, by faith, open our hands and our hearts and receive His blessed gift of eternal life, this generous, free, and totally unexpected, undeserved, divine favor, His grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. May we pray.